Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Oh, it feels good to be back home. As always, I'm honored and humbled to be able to share with you all this morning. I want to welcome those viewing online and any visitors in the house. If this is your first time, we want to say welcome. On behalf of our lead pastors, Eddie and Roxanne Vargas, we just want to say welcome home. You know, in any trial, in any season, there are four elements that are essential to our walk, essential to weather any storm. The first one being our word, our word, our time in worship our prayer life, and our community. And right now, more than ever, we see how essential and vital the church is. So I want to say thank you all for coming today, and I pray that this word gives you revelation. I just want to take a second right now to pray over this time and over this message. So if you look at all, just where you're at, bow your heads. If you're watching at home, go ahead, bow your head. And Father, I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together in community and fellowship with one another. To be able to hear from your Holy Spirit through your word that you gave us. Father, we know that your word is good and breathed completely by you for our benefit. To help us, to teach us, to guide us, to give us strength, to give us counsel. So Father, we say thank you. We love you. We give you all the honor and all the praise that everyone said. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise one more time. Now, I know it's been a while since I've been up here, since we've been able to be in community with one another again, and it feels good because I was so tired of preaching at a camera. It's weird. And this is your first time. We, we got some rules when I preach. First rule is I'm not Pastor Eddie. So you can come back next week if you don't like what you hear. Second rule is, I am really a nice person. I know I look mean. I'm big, I'm bald, I'm black, and I'm bearded. So I look like Shook Knight's cousin, and I get that. But I'm really a nice person, so don't take anything I say personally. I love you. It's coming straight from a place of love. With that, we don't send Pastor Max any emails, any texts, or anything like, you was pointing this out, this was personal, and I'll take offense to it. This is the word of God, and if it hits you, it's for you. Amen? So for the past several weeks since we've come back, we've been in this series entitled Freedom Sundays where we've been discussing the marks of freedom. The marks of freedom which come by way of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. Through that acceptance of the blood of Jesus coming, Jesus coming into our lives, being Lord and Savior, we should have a new way of living, which we talk about through the marks of freedom. Our theme scripture, our focus scripture for this series comes in Romans chapter 12. And I want to read those verses so we can recap. It's good to go back over what we talked about so it stays ingrained in us. So let's go to the book of Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 1. And it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one of another. Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So thus far we have covered four marks of freedoms. Four marks we have covered thus far, just to catch you up and recap. So number one, the first mark of freedom is a surrendered life. Everyone say surrendered life. So we covered that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The second mark of freedom, a transformed mind. Everyone say transformed mind. We covered that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The third one, actively serves God's purpose. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Live in unity as a body. We covered that last week with Pastor John Morgan, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. And here's the beauty of the word of God. Using just eight verses, we've been able to teach for four weeks consecutively. That's how deep it goes. Because sometimes when we read scripture, we read it to just get the accomplishment and say, ooh, check that block off. I read some scripture today, got my verse of the day in, and we move on. But we don't take the time to process and digest what the word is saying. And for the last four weeks, we were able to get the material and the teaching and the learning and the wisdom and all that we need in just eight verses. So imagine what you can do in your own personal time when you sit down with the word. So this week, we're going to get into the fifth mark of freedom, the fifth one. So we got four. This is number five. So here's the fifth mark of freedom. Write this down. And this is the title of the message as well. Christ-like character. Christ-like character. So we're going to pick up Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And Paul writes, he said, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now when we read this scripture uh, along with the rest of the verses, this particular verse is an easy one to gloss over. It's an easy one to look at, read through, okay, cool, and now you're on to verse 10. But if we don't take the time to process all that is being said here, we're going to miss a very important thing. We're going to miss a very vital instruction on how to have the character of Christ. And the reason why this is easy to gloss over because there's some familiar words and some unfamiliar words. So when we see let love be genuine, most of us have a response to us and go, I kind of understand what that means. Let my love be real. Keep it real. Anything I say, keep it 100, right? But when we get to that word abhor, we're like, uh, hmm. you know, my English class, public education at LAUSD was tripping. So we're just going to keep moving on that one. Abhor what is evil. And then we see hold fast to what is good. And we know what hold fast is. So the assumption for abhor means... Let go. Because if I'm holding something, the opposite of it got to be let go. So there we go. That's what it means. And then we move on. 
But we have to be able to fully grasp the context of what is being said here. So the first point is this. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And as we read scripture, we should be reading at a pace to really look at a word, especially an action verb such as love, and get what the author is saying. Because the way that love is being used right here isn't how we use the term love in our modern society. The word that Paul wrote there is the word agape. Everybody say agape. Say agape. Agape is a Greek word for love. It is a total love. It is a unconditional love that is given without the expectation it is going to be returned. Agape is the kind of love that God has for us. Agape is the love that Jesus has for us when he sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. Not ever expecting for us to believe in him, but he did it out of unconditional selfless love. Agape is selfless. Agape is placing the needs of others before our own. Agape, it's a much heavier word for love. Agape is a type of love, though, each of us is instructed to have for one another when Jesus speaks on the greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, love or agape the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love or agape your neighbor as yourself. That means have a total love for your neighbor, an unconditional love for your neighbor, a selfless love for your neighbor, a sacrificial love for your neighbor as yourself. It's more than how we've come to use the term love. See, when we say the word love, it's, it's used way too frequently in the American language anyway. And when we're applying it to people, like, I love you, man, I love you, you're my friend, I love you, I love you. And what we really mean is, I like you, I tolerate you, you are right, it's cool, don't text me outside of the social construct that we're currently in. I hope that you don't bug me at any other time, but I love you. We use it in a very passive kind of way. But when we get home and we get into our own personal lives and the way that we operate, we don't have that kind of love for people regularly, do we? Let's be honest. We don't have that kind of love going outward regularly. And it's because of how culture has shaped love. And there are several other types of love that are in the Word of God that we see more prevalent in our society. And I want to cover some of those so we can get a full understanding on how to apply those, but at the same time get to agape. That's the goal. We want to get to agape. So the first kind of love I want to cover is called philia. Everybody say philia. Philia is where we get the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. This is the kind of love between friends, between companions, your crew, your clique, your homies, your posse, whatever you roll with. Those are your people. But it's, a, it's more of a feeling kind of love. It happens when you get that text and it's your boy, or it's your homegirl, it's your best friend, whatever, and you're excited about it. Because let's be honest, there's sometimes we get texts from people and we're like, please not this person. Oh, I'm not going to respond to them. From my gamers who got the headset, you get that pop-up like private chat, you're like, nah, 
not feeling it. But when it's your boy or your favorite friend, you're like, let's do this, let's go. Hey, what do you want to do right now? Let's go out, let's go eat. It doesn't even matter where we're going. I just want to be around you. That's philia. It is a good kind of love and it is a love that we should have in community for one another. But it is not substantial on, your, on its own. The reason why it's not substantial on your own because it requires you to be in a certain community with people. Meaning once you step outside of that group, outside of that companionship, outside of that friendship, you don't have love for anybody else. It is not an action, it is a feeling. That's philia. The second kind of love that we see which is very common to our culture is called storage. Everybody say storage. This is in stores like you put something, something in the closet, but it's called storage. And this is a family kind of love. This is more prevalent in the parent to child. Right? Moms have a natural nurturing. They don't, it just happens the moment the child is conceived and like they're already loving on it. And when the child is here, the family comes around and they love on it. Uh, storage comes with compassion. Storage comes with responsibility. It's in aid. It comes with a level of empathy that we have towards a person. But again, it is not substantial on its own because it has to be connected to that relationship of parent to child or family where we feel this unique bond and we don't even know where it comes from. And it can happen outside of blood. It can also happen in community where we have that responsibility. It's sort of like how pastors love on people that they lead. It's this connection that we have and we feel just called. Like I don't know what it is about them or what it is about right now, but I have to go to them and be there for them. That's storage. And again, it's a biblical kind of love and it's really good but not substantial on its own. Because it requires that community. And here's the other kind of love that we see in our society. And this love is a dangerous kind of love. Because this kind of feeling is the kind of feeling that can push us into sin. It's called eros. Everybody say eros. Couples like this kind of love. Especially new couples. You love this kind of love. This is an intense sexual and romantic kind of love. Everybody get quiet now like... Where is he going with this? It's about to get awkward in here. This kind of love is that goofy, tingly, oh, my God, I can't. He's just so amazing. Oh, my God, she texts me. She looks so good. This kind of love happens from the dumbest things. People fall in love so easily today. The way she smiles. The way he looks at me. She wears yoga pants. Anytime we go out to eat, he already knows what I want. He lets me eat his fries. And people fall in love and they get this attraction to a person and it drives them crazy and mad. They start making dumb decisions a lot of times. And it leads them astray. It feels good. Don't get me wrong. You get, you get excited about arrows. You're like, whoo, she texts me right now. Oh, she slid into my DMs right now. You get pumped up and you're like, whoa, what is this rush? I love this. I love this. But eros is dangerous, and without the proper kind of love with it, it will lead you into sin. Ask Samson about eros. Samson had a big woman problem, and he saw Delilah, he's like, yo, I will shave all this hair off for this girl. Gave his life up. Ask King David with Bathsheba. Saw her from across the way, she getting her suds on and stuff like that. I like not having a hand mic. I could dance with it. If I get buck, I could crump with it. <laughs> this is nice. I like this. 
But all these things, it, it drives them and it's a feeling and we're so sure about it because we get this internal feeling that we start telling, I love you, I love you, I love you. But here's the reality. Arrows will not sustain you when the hard times come and they will come. Arrows will not get you through those hard times when you're not feeling it, when you ain't in the mood. We could talk about this in church. Don't get all weird now. You need real love. You, because real love is able to get you through valleys. Real love is able to get you when the bills might not get paid. Real love will get you when the kids is acting crazy. It'll get you through that. Real love will help you persevere trials and help you overcome. Real love is when you don't feel like talking to each other and she's in one room and you're in another side of the room. You'll still be in the other rooms praying for one another, contending for one another. Real love is what bring you back to each other. That's agape. It's a selfless kind of love. Arrows won't sustain you through those things. And too many couples and too many people are trying to live in relation with one another on all these different types of love and wonder why they can't sustain and make it through when the rough times come. We've been in a pandemic since March and we've seen an uptick in divorces. you got nothing but time for arrows. What's the problem? The problem is you got no agape going on in your household. You got no philia, no bond, no connection. You got no storage going on for each other. So without all those other proper types of love, that arrows means nothing. You can only truly enjoy arrows with your loved one by being in covenant with one another. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want you to understand this. You can't truly enjoy the gift and blessing of Eros without having the agape, without having the philia and that deep connection. You will never understand the true depth of Eros. You will have a very superficial level of it. See, because Eros can't teach you forgiveness. Eros doesn't teach you patience. Eros doesn't teach you how to be selfless and compassionate. When you don't fully understand what the other person is going through. My wife right now, she's pregnant with our fourth child. Praise God. Going for it again. I have no clue what she's going through whatsoever. I can't fathom it. I don't know. Sometimes she's hot. Sometimes she's cold. She's tired. She's awake. Her back hurts. Her feet hurt. And all this stuff is going on and the world is coming at her. My only responsibility through agape is, kids, get away from your mom. I walk in the house, I got to be like Thanos in there, just smacking kids left and right, just move. I don't know what she's going on, but there's compassion there, there's agape there, there's selflessness. So I take the kids, even though I worked a long day, even though I'm tired, it's, I, there's time, I have to come in and help. And I think it's interesting if you read the word of God and you read in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul teaches about how husbands are to love their wives. He says, husbands, agape your wives. He doesn't say arrows your wives. He says agape your wives. Have an unconditional selfless kind of love for your wives. In the same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, husbands, I know a lot of you guys, you love that scripture. Pastor, she won't submit. The Bible says she has to submit. But the Bible tells you to love as Christ love. That's a higher calling upon your responsibility than hers. 
Here's the thing. We cannot get to agape, though, if we don't have Jesus. You can never, ever understand agape until you know Jesus, until you have a relationship with him, until you know his love for you. Deep into the heart of you, you can never give that out to anybody else. It will always come in the form of philia, storage, or arrows. You will, that's all you'll ever be able to produce because that's what we have down here. But agape comes from on high. And when you have that connection to the Father through the Son, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to be able to give agape to everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, I'm going to read it this way. Agape is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never ends. That's why it has to come through Jesus. It has to come through Jesus. So let's go back. Let's read that verse again. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Do we have a different understanding now? See, that word genuine at first just meant like real. But now that we understand what love is, so let your agape be genuine. So we get a much deeper understanding. You see the importance it is to get into Scripture, to get into the Word and allow it to breathe on you and allow it to teach you and allow it to instruct you. Because if you just simply read it and don't consume it, it will never sustain you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Abhor is a weird word. Not a word that we hear on a regular basis unless you're like a writer or something. And we have this tendency when we see a word that we don't know, we just move on past it. Listen, we live in the information age. Google it. I Google words all the time. Because it gives me a better understanding. Abhor. See, because when we read abhor in that phrase and connect it to the phrase that's next to it, the assumption that the mind does, it says abhor must mean let go. If the other phrase says hold fast, that means abhor must mean let go. That is not what abhor means. Here's what abhor means. Abhor means regard with extreme repugnance or aversion. Detest utterly, loathe, abominate, hatred, disgust. Hate what is evil. You should be repulsed by what is evil. You should loathe what is evil. What is evil should be an abomination. You should detest evil acts. That's what abhor is. It is not a lightweight word. During my high school years, I, I lived with my grandmother in Carson. My grandmother, she's southern. She was from Arkansas, born in the 30s. And she cooked soul food, southern cooking. That explains why I'm as big as I am. That food is thick. That stick to your ribs stuff. I'm, my grandma was a fire cook, neighborhood type cook, where kids that I hung out with would ask, your grandmother cooking tonight? What your grandmother got on the grill? And it was always fire. There was a, I would say 90 to 95% of the time I had no issues whatsoever what she cooked, obviously. I got to her house, I weighed about one, I was about 5'7", five, 5'6", five, 140. 
By the time I left high school, I was six foot two fifty. I should explain some stuff. I did have a 19 and a half inch neck, so it wasn't all, it was here too. So, you know, don't, don't be hating on me. But most of the time, I loved everything she had to cook. I didn't have an issue with it. I'd come home, it smells good. We got meatloaf, we got mac and cheese casserole. I'm talking about the stuff with the crust on it and like not craft mac and cheese, but real cheese inside of it. You know, chicken and dumplings, fried chicken, collard greens, cornbread, hot water cornbread. Y'all don't even know about that. And the, fo- the food I ate was amazing, but there were some things. So it was just like, nah, not going down. Black eyed peas. Mm-mm. Nope, mm-mm. I know some of you guys are confused. You don't even know what a black IP is. You wonder, like, did somebody punch some peas? No, it's just, it's a food. Don't worry about it. You don't need that in your life. Don't do yourself the disservice. It's gross. Bad texture, bland taste. Steamed cabbage and ham hocks. Talk, it's just a pot of bad breath. Like, you open this, like, somebody's like, hey, like, eat me. And don't even worry what a ham hock is. It'll confuse you. You don't need to get into that. Don't do it to yourself. Liver. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Not eating it. Not going down at all. Not happening. Can't do it. But there's one thing above all things that was the absolute worst to the point where I couldn't even be in the house when it was cooking. Chitlins. Chitlins. Some of you guys confused. I get it. Because you go to the grocery store, it says chitterlings. And a black house, chitlins. <laughs> to my Latinos, it's tripas. I'm, that you got that? It's, it's pig, intestine, and stomach lining. Gross. Nasty. One, it comes in a bucket. And then you got to bring the bucket home. And then they got to clean it. And as soon as the bucket opens, it literally smells like pig intestines. And I remember the first experience I had when I moved to her house. And I'm like, what is that smell? What is that smell? Oh, my God. Like, it is just blooming through the house. And you're like, ooh. And you're trying to spray in everything. You're trying to do whatever you can just to get the smell away from you. Oh, it's horrid. Absolutely, like something died and was sealed in a plastic couch for 30 years and exploded and farted. It is horrible. And then she cooks it and the smell just, now it's hot in the house because we didn't have AC because old grandmas don't believe in that. You better put a fan in the window. Like, and there's this hot and the smell's intense and it's like you're, I'm dreading the situation that's going to come. Because in a black household, you don't get to opt out of dinner. You don't eat. I mean, you don't like what's being cooked. You don't eat. Grandma's not making you another meal. Or you better learn how to bust out some PB&J and get it popping. She's not cooking you nothing else. She spent all day preparing the chitlins. You're going to eat the chitlins. And when you eat in a black household, you got to clean the plate. And for whatever reason, I don't know why this always comes up. If you don't like what you're eating and you want to get rid of it, they always got to bring world starvation into the conversation somehow. Like, there's kids in Africa starving right now. And I'm like, well, if I ate it, they're still going to be starving. So I wouldn't dare say that out loud. I got all my fronts knocked out. So I remember sitting down in this heap of just smell and intestines. And it literally looked like intestines. It doesn't look any better just because you cooked it. It looks horrible. And then she's like, just put some hot sauce on it, baby. Now it's bloody intestine. Thank you. Like, oh. And then, like, 
you know, I, like you get that feeling like that gag reflex. Like, mm-hmm. That's the sound. As I'm bringing the phone, mm-hmm. he's like, you better not throw up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you hold the nose. I couldn't make it all the way through it. I got up from the table, ran to the bathroom, and that was the first time I've ever threw up her food. And ever since that day, I've never touched chitlins again. I never was around it. When, she, when I saw the bucket come in, I went to my friend's house like, I'm out. I'm going somewhere. I can't be here. I can't be around this. I can't have that close to me. I definitely can't have that inside of me. Yuck. I abhor chitlins. That's exactly how God wants us to treat our sin. That's exactly how God wants us to treat evil. Is that evil doesn't belong within us anymore. We are a new creation. We are restored, made brand new. He washed us clean. Not so we can put more evil back in, but so that we can abhor evil and keep it away from us. We should know that is not of God. So I don't, that doesn't belong around me. The only time I come face to face with evil is to rebuke evil, to cast out evil, not to receive it back into my life, not to have it in my household, not to have it in my spirit. I'm to abhor what is evil. So we have to first understand what is considered evil. Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to start here. There are six things, uh, Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows sows discord among brothers. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 31. Follow me here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Talking about idolatry there. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see 
fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I know that's a lot to process in there, but we're going to unpack this list because it's all woven in there. What's important here is that he's talking about a people who knew God. You know who God is, you know his creation, you know his righteousness, and you know what he expects of you. But yet you choose to do otherwise. That's the people he's talking about. This is the people who come to church regularly and still want to do things their way. You know God. You know better. So here's the list of things to abhor. If you're going to write something down, write this list down. The list of things to abhor, which is in that scripture that I just read. That phrase, haughty eyes, that's arrogance. Number one thing that pushes God away, that will keep God away, pride. Pride, arrogance, we have to abhor. It doesn't belong in your heart, it doesn't belong around you. And this is in no particular order, I'm just going to read through these. Lying, lying. We tell lies because we think it's going to be better than telling the truth. Murder, deceitfulness, false witnessing, divisiveness. Some people, for whatever reason, you just like stirring up trouble. You like it when people are fighting amongst each other. We have to abhor that. The next one, sexual immorality. This includes, but not limited to, fornication. That means sex outside of marriage. Adultery, sex with somebody else that is not your wife. Homosexuality, sex with the same sex. And all other forms of sexual conduct outside the covenant of marriage. Although it's not descriptively written inside the word of God, that includes pornography and pedophilia. And you would think I wouldn't need to say that and bring that up, but here's what has happened in our culture. Is that we've compromised on some sexual immorality... And then we're surprised when people push the spectrum all the way to the limit. We compromise on fornication. We compromise on adultery. We compromise on homosexuality. So why should we be surprised when somebody's like, I think I should have sex with a kid? The compromise gave way to the extreme. When Cain killed Abel, man did not think that one day mankind would drop a bomb that would kill 60,000 people instantly. But that's the compromise of murder. The compromise of divisiveness, we did not see that one day man would go in ships to a continent, throw a whole bunch of people in there, drag them to another continent, and make them their slaves. That's the compromise of divisiveness. See, there's the sin that we experience on a small level, but that compromise on the far spectrum ends to the global situation that we're in now. Covetousness. 
being jealous of somebody, hating on somebody because they got something that you don't. Having to make up a story about how they got it and why you don't have it. And if I had what they had, then I'd be doing it. Stop doing that. Malice, envy, gossip, slander, idolatry, making other things your idol, making other things your God. Putting your job before God, putting your hobbies before God, putting your spouse before God, putting your kids before God, putting anything whatsoever this world has to offer before God is idolatry. I cannot have the relationship I have with my wife if she is before my relationship with God. I have the relationship that we enjoy because God is first in our lives. Because I learned to love through him so I can love my family appropriately. But if I reverse that order, I'll run out of the love that I have for her because circumstances aren't always going good. And I'm not connected to the Father because I've put my family before God. The family that he blessed me with. Children, hear this. Disobedience to parents is evil. I don't want to. I shouldn't have to. Why I got to do this? All that disrespect stuff. One, you're lucky you in 2020 because if you was in 1980, you got your fronts knocked out. And then everybody in the store would have just been like, shouldn't have been talking. <laughs> you, it would have been no camera phone on you. It would have been people in the back like, I got a better belt. Hold up. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> Disobedience to your parents goes against God. Unless your parents are outside the covenant of God and tell you to do something that you know is evil. But even still, that doesn't mean you could disrespect your parents. Honoring your mother and your father. Honor them. You honor them by how you honor God. But how can you be obedient to the God that you can't see if you can't be obedient to the parents that are right there with you? Evilness includes boastfulness, heartlessness, not caring for those who are hurting. I know when that statement, Black Lives Matter, popped up, a lot of people, all, all lives matter and this, that, you're heartless. Because you're mad the attention is not connected to you right now. And your situation, even if you don't think it's true, just listen and empathize with them. Feel for them and understand the pain that that person is going through. When the Me Too movement started and guys are like, oh, here we go again with the women. Instead of just listening to them and wonder why they have this outcry and begin to love on them and speak into them so they can come into understanding the truth. But we're heartless. We're heartless. I saw people already making jokes on Lebanon with the bomb going off. Heartless. Faithless. Faithless. We don't believe God for anything. We, we love singing the songs and doing that, but we don't believe God for anything. That's a doorway to evil to get into your heart. These are the things that we should abhor. We should literally run from. We should get as far away from. Our minds must be renewed. How do we renew our minds? How do we transform our minds? By the word of God. You cannot have a renewed mind if you don't have the word. No worship song is going to replace the word. No Instagram post is going to replace the word. No YouTube video or sermon is going to replace the word. You have to have the word. Even me preaching the word to you is not substantial enough. You need your own intimate time with the word of God. Because what I'm preaching to you is what God revealed to me. And it is helpful for the edification of the body. But it's what God revealed to me. You can go back and read the scripture the same word I got and get something completely new. That God has specifically for you. 
But you have to make that choice. You want a new mind, you need the word. We must cling to what is good. Cling, cling, not just hold on. Cling, when you think about somebody clinging on, what are they doing? They're holding on for dear life. They're not letting go. They're locked in. And we must abhor what is evil. We must have a deep disdain for our sin. Some of you guys, you heard this phrase before, spouted out, and I just want to be clear, this, it's not a Bible scripture, but a church cliche, but it's not a bad one. It's hate the sin, but love the sinner. Who heard this? Anybody heard this? Hate the sin, but love the sinner. It's a good thing to say. But what's interesting about when we say that, we only apply it when it's outside of us. When we say hate the sin, we're talking about that person, talking about that person, talking about that person. But do we ever talk about us? When we say hate the sin, are we looking at our own sin and being able to hate it? Here's the reality. The reason why we can't overcome these evil things and these sins, there's a part of us that still likes it. There's a part of us that still enjoys it. Why? Because sin is pleasurable. But it's fleeting. It is fleeting. It will leave you feeling empty and broken every single time. But there's a part of us that we enjoy it. We enjoy doing stuff that we know we got no business doing. We enjoy watching pornography. Come on. We enjoy that we get to have sex with whoever, whenever we want to and keep it a secret. We enjoy spreading gossip and being in divisive talks. We enjoy causing problems. We enjoy being disobedient to our parents. We enjoy these things. These jokes and all this stuff that we know we got no business doing, but there's part of us that still likes it. And as long as we still like it, we're still holding on to it. And God will not remove what you're not willing to let go. That's why it says in Romans chapter 1 that he left them to their own sinful ways. He left them to, like, fine, I'm not going to stop you. If that's what you want, I am not going to stop you. When you're ready to come to me, I'll be here with open arms. You know, I, I experienced a lot of sinful lifestyles, a lot of sinful behaviors. One of the hardest ones for me to overcome was the, the rage and anger that I held within my heart for so long because of things that happened to me. I, I was fueled by it. That's why like, in the army it was like the best place for me because I could funnel my anger, my vengefulness and hatred into something. My lust, my addiction to pornography, I had to work. I was fighting up against it all the time, back and forth, and I kept failing. I kept failing. And it wasn't until I saw the pain that it caused to my family. And I began to look at myself and like, I don't like this side of me. That I began to loathe what I did. I began to loathe that part of me. Then all of a sudden, like the strength came over me. The strength that I never knew before to be able to deal with that because I was able to look at that side, that evil, and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with you. You don't belong in me. You don't belong with me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Of course, this is a metaphor. Otherwise, everybody in this church be handless and blind. And it would be very weird in here. We all be like, 
That'd be all of us. But the metaphor that Jesus wants to understand, get rid of the sin, no matter how it makes you look and no matter how much it hurts. The thing is we hold on to these things because we're so afraid of the shame that comes with it. What are they going to think if I admit to this? What do they think if I confess to this? It ain't about what we think. It's about what he sees. You keep telling God you got a good heart, but you keep evil in it. Our actions, our words all stem from the heart. So we can't tell God, God sees my heart. Yeah, he sees an evil heart. It's the evil one that wants to condemn you, the evil one who wants to deceive you. It is those thoughts that get in your head that think you can't come back to God. But God is always there with open arms. Shame off you. Off you. We keep secrets because we want to keep the secret. But when you release it and you cling on to what's good, there can be a change in the heart. If I got the worship team come up, get ready to close. Here's my third point here. Cling to what is good. Cling, not just hold on, but cling to it as if your life depends on it. Cling. What is good? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is agape, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no long. I cling I hold tightly to agape. I hold tightly to the love that Jesus has for me. I hold tightly to the love that the Father has for me. I cling to it. I cling to the joy that is given to me through the Holy Spirit. I cling to the peace from the Holy Spirit. I cling on to patience. Cling to patience. Patience is a good thing. Patience is something we need. Patience is a prayer that we should have. And we kind of built up this thing. We're like, well, be careful. Don't pray for patience. No, pray for patience. Patience gets you to agape. But you got to cling to it. Cling on to kindness and goodness. Cling on to being faithful. Cling on to being gentle. And cling on to self-control. I find it funny, like, this, the, we see all these things that are evil, but what's funny is God just says, if you just hold on to these few things, you'll be fine. You just hold on to these few things. It's not this gigantic list of, well, you got to do this good, you got to do this, this good. And all these things are easy to approach. Every single person in this room, including myself, we can all do those things. It doesn't say... You got to have, you know, multi-million dollar income. You got to have a college degree. You got to be the smartest. You got to be the wisest. We're talking about things that come from the Holy Spirit. That's all he's telling. If you cling to what is good, you'll be able to abhor what is evil. We need an agape love. It all comes back to that. It all comes back to that agape. If our love is positioned correctly... There's no way we can have our hands into what is evil. 
It's when our love is selfish instead of selfless that we fall into sin. See, a selfless love would tell our boyfriend or our girlfriend, I care too much about your growth with God to put us in a situation where we can end up doing something we both know is against God. That's a selfless love. That's agape. If it's unconditional, I'm not going to compromise you. I'm not going to compromise our relationship with God because I want to see that grow. I'm going to be selfless in this. A selfless love will lift others up around them rather than trying to take all the credit. It's not about you. It's not about your pride. It's not about you trying to shine. But it's about all those around you and letting them know that they're loved. That they're, that's a selfish, agape, unconditional love. A selfless love will be quick to try to extinguish gossip. An agape would not tolerate gossip. It wouldn't allow, I heard, did you hear from? It would not allow divisive talk to be in or around them. An agape love speaks truth no matter the pain. We hold on to truth because we think we're sparing someone. That's not loving them. That's not love, that's not agape by you withholding what is true. We must cling to the fruits of the Spirit and walk in agape. That is how we develop the character of Christ. It all begins with Jesus, though. As I said earlier, you cannot begin to fathom agape or put it into action if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Because he's the only one who can show you that kind of love. He's the only one who can feel that void in your heart and heal those hurts that has caused us to depend on all these other streams of love. I can't love people unless I'm like that close to them. I can't love people that way. I can't let anybody in on that level. You got to know Jesus. See, because Jesus loved us even though he knew he was going to get hurt. He knew people that were close to him that he shared philia with were going to hurt him. But he loved them agape, unconditionally. Imagine talking to, to one of your brothers and you know for sure that they're going to walk away from you and deny you. Deny that they ever knew you. But you love them still the same. That's agape. And that's what Jesus had. So with every head bowed and every eye closed today. If this message spoke to you, you're at home, you're watching or listening... And it spoke to you in a way that you've never experienced before. And you say, Pastor Max, I, I don't know this agape. I've never felt that kind of love before. I can't understand it and fathom it. I wanted to let you know that today that can all change. That can all change. And it happens by surrender. Surrendering to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Allowing him to love you. Allowing him to pour into your heart. Allowing him to heal. 
See, Jesus isn't looking at your past and all that you've done and all that you've been through. He's looking at you at this moment right now and he sees you and he loves you. The father's looking at you, there's my son, there's my daughter. It's okay. It's okay. I understand. I understand everything that you've been through. And I'm here for you and I'm here to tell you there's no shame, there's no condemnation when you receive me. So if you're here today and you've been living a lifestyle that you know is in contradiction to the word of God, you know that you, you know that God exists, but you haven't been able to love how Christ loved. You haven't been able to get through some of these hurdles and these obstacles that have been holding you captive and bound you and changed. And today you say, Pastor Max, I want to get free. I want to get free once and for all. Today is the day I want to turn from my sin. I want to flee from evil. I want to rebuke the evil away from me. I want to cast it out. If that's you today, just with a hand right now, just raise your hand where you're at. It doesn't, you don't have to look up, no getting up. But that's you right now. You know you got some things you want to get off you and you want to get out of you today. And this message spoke to you. Just raise your hand where you're at. I'm not about putting you on the spot. We see those hands. We see those hands. We see those hands. Amen. 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 All around the room. Amen. So just where you're at, this is a moment between you and the Father. It doesn't matter about anybody else to your left or your right. This is an intimate moment between you and the Father. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when we are truly saved within our heart, he gives us the Holy Spirit that deposits into us, giving us the ability to overcome all evil. So I want to pray this prayer with you. We're going to pray it together. And you at home, you can pray this out loud. And I want everybody to say this like they mean it. Say, Jesus. Come on, with all of your might, say, Jesus, I believe within my heart that you died on the cross for my sins and that God rose you from the dead. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as Lord and Savior. I ask for forgiveness for all of my sins. Thank you for loving me. From this moment forward, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise in this house tonight. This place was delivered. We have been set free. The mark of freedom is upon you. A Christ-like character is within you through the power of the Holy Spirit working with you by being in community with one another. We are able to understand agape. We understand the philia and the storage. We're able to love how he called us to love. It is not beyond your control. You have been empowered with it. Don't ever forget this day today. This day today in which a transformation from the inside allows you to be who he needs you to be on the outside. I pray that this message encourages you. I pray that this message stirs you up. Remain in community with one another, but more importantly, remain in your word. 
a transformed mind comes through the Word of God. Everything that you need for your life is in the Word of God. It is there. My transformation, Pastor Eddie's transformation, and every leader you've ever seen, we're only transformed by the renewing of our mind, which comes through the Word of God. Choose to live your life as a sacrifice. Choose to lock into His purpose. Choose to live in unity as the body. That is the marks of freedom. God bless you.